All right, we are back. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some more politics, as we mentioned in our first segment. Uh, I love this quote from Mitt Romney uh, made last week when he said, actually, just look at what Osama, uh, uh, Barack Obama just said yesterday. Barack Obama calling on radicals, jihadists of all different types to come together in Iraq. Romney's campaign said this was kind of a mere slip of the tongue, but the candidate did not offer an apology for confusing Democratic hopeful Barack Obama with al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden. For his part, Barack Obama, when asked if he'd take Al Gore as a running mate, said, I'll be honest with you, having won the Nobel Peace Prize and an Oscar, being vice president again would probably be a step down for him. And speaking of Al Gore, as could have well been predicted, the attacks on uh, Al Gore in the wake of winning a Nobel Prize for his environmental efforts um, are increasing. As we noted on last week's program, not only had the polar ice cap shrunk to its smallest level ever this summer, it, uh, it broke that record by 23%. Noted Andrew Repkin in the New York Times, uh, perhaps Santa needs to move his workshop away from the North Pole since an area of one million square miles of sea ice, that's the size of six states of California, melted away over this summer. The ice's vanishing act was a shock even to the bleakest of eco-pessimists who now say global warming may be happening faster than they expected. Meanwhile, over in the UK, environmental skeptics, uh, at least in one case, an environmental skeptic named Judge Michael Burton, ruled that an inconvenient truth could be shown in British schools only if the teachers add a disclaimer saying the film's facts are disputed. Now, we're not sure what, what in the way of science curriculum they're offering over in uh, British law schools, but uh, the judge ruled, among other things, that when Al Gore said that sea levels will rise 20 feet, when parts of West Antarctica are Greenland melt, well, that was distinctly alarmist. and says that will take thousands of years for that type of melting to transpire, a figure which he apparently plucked out of thin air. He notes that polar bears now have to swim up to 60 miles to find ice banks, and they're drowning. Well, the judge said, well, only four bears have drowned, and that was a result of storms. Data he retrieved again from God knows where. Gore's movie notes that uh, coral reefs are being bleached because of environmental change. Well, the judge maintained that climate does not bear the burden alone. Why, pollution and overfishing are also to blame. Overfishing causing coral bleaching? We don't know what he's talking about. But uh, in future shows, we're going to take a look at some of these attacks being made on uh, the science of global warming and, and Al Gore in particular and see what we can do to clear the air. All right, speaking of unclear air, we closed last week's program by noting that uh, a, a letter from 41 Democratic senators to Rush Limbaugh apparently fetched $2.1 million when sold at auction on eBay. The letter came about after Rush Limbaugh referred to Iraq war veterans critical of the war as phony soldiers. Limbaugh, who, by the way, did not serve in the Vietnam War, evidently because he had a pilonidal cyst a minor spinal abnormality easily corrected by surgery, called the letter he received this glittering jewel of colossal ignorance. He then estimated that it might go for as much as a million dollars on eBay. Well, it turned out that the Eugene B. Casey Foundation, a $294 million foundation based in Maryland, uh, which gives money to a number of conservative causes, in a statement, the foundation said its purchase of the letter was intended to demonstrate its belief in freedom of speech 
and to support Rush Limbaugh, his views, and his continuing education of us. Well, we got to say that ought to keep Rush in OxyContin for quite a good long while. The money will allegedly, in fact, go to the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, Inc., a nonprofit organization in New Jersey that provides, allegedly, scholarship and other assistance to families of Marines and federal law enforcement officers who die or are wounded in the line of duty. Rush Limbaugh is director of the organization. Oh, and the Eugene B. Casey Foundation apparently is headed by the retired head of the New York FBI office, James K. Kalstrom. You remember Kalstrom? He was the guy that got uh, tagged to look into the shooting down of TWA Flight 800 uh, south of Long Island 10 years back. Kalstrom directed the subsequent cover-up, which which pushed all investigatory uh, avenues away from the missile, which everyone observed, which was, by the way, photographed and which apparently was also picked up on radar tracing, to the favored cover-up position, which is, ladies and gentlemen, apparently, if this is to be believed, Boeing 747s do, once in a while, spontaneously explode. No, there's been no retrofits. No, there's been no grounding of aircraft. But if James K. Kalstrom is to be believed, Boeing 747s just, on occasion, spontaneously blow up. I guess at this juncture, it might be a good point to mention that old joke of what's the difference between Rush Limbaugh and the Hindenburg? The answer, of course, is that one is a flaming Nazi gas bag, whereas the other is a Zeppelin. All right, and speaking of phony news stories, as we were, as regards the fact that 747s occasionally explode and that a letter to Rush Limbaugh can be worth really a million dollars on the open market, how about this item from the Sacramento Bee, quoting the Associated Press? The Homeland Security Chief, Michael Chertoff, on Saturday tore into his own employees for staging a phony news conference at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Now, apparently the agency, much maligned for its sluggish response to Hurricane Katrina two years ago, arranged to have FEMA employees play the part of reporters at an event and question Vice Admiral Harvey Johnson, the deputy director. The questions, not surprisingly, were soft and gratuitous. FEMA then gave real reporters 15 minutes notice before the news conference and noted that because of the short notice, they made available an 800 number so reporters could call in. Many did, although it turns out it was a listen-only arrangement and they could not, in fact, ask questions of their own. Deputy Director Vice Admiral Harvey Johnson said the statement that FEMA's goal was, quote, to get information out as soon as possible, and in trying to do so, we made an error in judgment, unquote. This prompted Michael Chertoff to say, I think it was one of the dumbest and most inappropriate things I've seen since I've been in government. Now, come on. This guy was involved in the government's actual response to Hurricane Katrina. And he's calling this particular fake news conference one of the dumbest and most inappropriate things he's ever seen? I don't know. Should we start comparing this to the other George W. Bush press conferences that have taken place? By the way, dear listener, we have a chance to interview uh, the author of uh, Bad President uh, in the future. Should we do this? Give us your input at info at Radio Parallax. Uh, You do have to like a book (laughs) that repeated George Bush's response when asked by the German magazine Bild, what do you feel has been the greatest moment of your presidency? To which W., 
the leader of the free world, looking back on his seven years in office, responded, I would say the best moment of all was when I caught a 7.5-pound largemouth bass in my lake. But you know, looking back on it, that might indeed be the greatest moment of the George W. Bush presidency. You know, we normally do obituaries in in this part of the program, and we have two to talk about, but we're going to have to defer these to next week's program. We want to talk about the passing of Joey Bishop, which we alluded to at the top of the program, but regrettably don't really appear to have time to do justice to. And we just learned yesterday the passing of Robert Goulet. So to do those right, we're going to defer that to next week's program and do a few miscellaneous items to tidy up today's show, such as this item. Apparently, several Mexican airlines have made it much easier for Mexicans to get up to the border by offering cheap fares, about $100, to fly from South and Central Mexico to border cities like Tijuana. Some travelers have quipped that these low-budget Mexican airlines should be dubbed Edo Migrante, or Migrant Air. Also from the miscellaneous file, we note that the original Captain Kirk, William Shatner, is disheartened that he won't get to boldly go anywhere with his old pal Spock in the latest Star Trek movie. While Leonard Nimoy is reprising his role as Mr. Spock next year, Bill Shatner will not be on board as Kirk. On a more serious note, how about this item? Warren Buffett says, I should pay more tax. Now keep in mind that Warren Buffett is estimated to be the United States' second richest man. The, uh, the investing wizard, known as the Sage of Omaha, has now openly complained that he pays a lower rate of tax than any of his staff, including his receptionist. Apparently Buffett, worth an estimated uh, $52 billion, told NBC Television upon brandishing an informal survey of 15 of his office staff at his Berkshire Hathaway empire, that uh, he was paying 17.7% payroll and income tax compared with an average in his office of 32.9%. There wasn't anyone in the office from the receptionist up who paid as low a tax rate, and I have no tax planning. I don't have an accountant or use tax shelters. I just follow what the U.S. Congress tells me to do. Personally, we think there ought to be a flat rate income tax in this country, no deductions. It would put all the C- a lot of the CPAs and tax lawyers out of business, but that in itself would be meritorious. Oh, and the death tax, that's got to go, but that's, to, that's a topic for another day. We do note the only person who seems to be openly behind that is Rudy Giuliani, so let's give credit where credit is due. All right, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I think we do actually have on the line our good pal, Dr. Andy Jones. Hello, Doug. Dr. Andy, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, It's always great to be on Radio Parallax. Now, you were at this writing seminar for Cy Hirsch last week. We promised last week we'd talk about it. We're a week late, but uh, what did you folks learn from uh, the immortal Cy Hirsch? Well, it was billed as a workshop for undergraduates. And a lot of the faculty, such as myself and the university writing program, attended as well. We didn't learn a whole lot about the day-to-day craft of writing. 
we learned a lot more about the sort of determination that it takes to be an investigative reporter, and especially a, a successful one. So uh, Cy Hirsch told a lot of stories, and because he has led such an interesting life and he's uncovered so many important stories, whether it's uh, the My Lai Massacre or more recently with Abu Ghraib, that, that we were very pleased to, to hear those stories. But in terms of what we, we learned about writing, we learned about the need to confirm stories with multiple, multiple sources. He told us, for instance, that he could have broken many more stories, including very big stories that we all knew and some that we hadn't heard of yet, but he didn't have enough sources to confirm what he knew to be true. So, you know, it was just a, a fascinating look at someone who has gained the confidence of so many interesting and important, often anonymous uh, sources, whether they be in the State Department, at the Pentagon, in Congress, or even in the White House, even this White House. Well, I know that uh, it was interesting uh, talk later that evening for a general audience with Catherine Olmsted, and we do have to bring Dr. Olmsted, I think, back on the show to because she had went out to dinner with him and and, and, and actually uh, shocked me by during the talk by revealing that she told him years ago that you know she found in the in the Gerald Ford Library a note how how Dick Cheney was out to get him, which I thought was fascinating. To get Cy Hirsch. Yeah, Seymour Hirsch was in the crosshairs back in the in in the Ford administration, and uh, someone asked the question of like, well, if you're not too worried about him, then how about now? <laughs> he right. just says, well, you can't think about that. I knew Nixon had his enemies list, but I didn't know that there was a, a list growing in the Ford administration as well. We'll have to get Dr. Olmsted on to tell that tale. I think you should. You know, there's someone else you should get to talk about Cy Hirsch, and that was the man who shared the stage with him at the afternoon workshop at the Mondavi Center, and that is Sasha Abramsky. I think you've interviewed him talking about other topics, probably one of his more recent books. I, I did have him over at Insight, yes. Yeah, but he is also an investigative reporter who uh, tells the truth about uh, powerful interests and uh, is very knowledgeable and is also a uh, faculty member in the university writing program. All right, he's on the list, and... In the 30 seconds we have left, we should plug the fact that you have a new, uh, a new gig. My new gig is that uh, I am hosting a pub quiz over at Bistro 33 on Monday night, starting at, at 9 o'clock. And you and I have been teammates over at the streets <laughs> of London in Sacramento and had a, a grand time and uh, won some prizes. So now I'm, I'm putting on the quiz master's hat and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So I, I hope, Doug, that uh, you might form uh, another team, maybe with some of our old teammates, and, uh, and come down and see uh, what you can do with Dr. Andy's question. Well, in- indeed, I think we should, and we'll have to report back to that for our, our listeners on how that goes. That sounds good, Doug. Uh, I will make sure that there's always a spot for you at uh, Bistro 33 <laughs> if you want to uh, match wits with me All right. on trivial topics. A formidable task, but I'll give it a go. Dr. Andy, always a pleasure. Come back again uh, soon. I'll be here whenever you need me, Doug. Thanks for calling. Dr. Andy Jones is, of course, the host of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, heard every Wednesdays at 5 o'clock on this very station. We're out of time. We will continue our discussion with Peter Dale Scott on next week's program. Our thanks to him, as well as Will Durst, and, of course, our own Dr. Andy. 
You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced, as they all are, by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week.